Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If this is your first time attending Coastal Oaks, thanks for being here this morning. We are on a year-long journey through the Old Testament, um, and uh, today is uh, Exodus chapter 32. Our life groups and D groups are reading through this together, and uh, so it's not a traditional Palm Sunday message, but we find ourselves this morning here where Israel um, commits uh, a grievous sin against the Lord. When I finished uh, college uh, in the fall, I took the spring semester. Amber still had a teaching contract that she needed to fulfill, and so I took that spring semester and uh, was a was teaching um, as a substitute. Um, I was not prepared for the first day of substitute teaching uh, in the class that um, I had. I have substitute taught a kindergarten class one time. Um, I was a poor substitute for the real thing. Webster defines substitute, substitute as a person or thing that takes the place or function of another. I wasn't the real teacher. Just simply took her place that day. And I can guarantee you that I was not a sufficient substitute, not as good as the real thing. Sometimes in my calling now, I wonder how sufficient I am. There are many times in our lives where we turn our hearts away from the Lord in search of something else or someone else that we've been led to believe will make us whole. And the noise of the world, the drumbeat of the world, the noise that the idols around us continue to make pull us away from pursuing God and growing in Christ-likeness. We find in Exodus 32, impatient Israel ready to get on with life, ready to move on with or without Moses, God's chosen leader, ready to move on because they were tired of waiting on him to come down from meeting with God, demanding that Aaron make a God for them or God's to lead them forward. If you would stand to your feet as I read from Exodus 32 in honor of the Lord's word. Verse one, when the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, come, make gods for us who will go before us because because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron replied to them, take off the gold rings 
that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into the image of a calf. And then they said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an an announcement. There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning, they arose, offered burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people you brought up from the land of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, these are your gods who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen this people, and they are indeed a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. Father, we come into your word this morning and Thank you for your presence through worship this far, for our praise team and for our choir leading us to the throne of grace, for the blood of Christ shed upon the cross that enables us to come, for Jesus, our mediator and our substitute upon the cross. Father, like Israel, we at times turn away to chase other gods we confess that before you this morning, and Father, pray that by your grace and mercy, we'll, we'll find forgiveness. Father, for those that will not turn loose just yet, Lord, I pray you bring conviction. Father, for our mediator, for our substitute, upon the cross and the power of the resurrection, your grace and mercy. Father, we approach your word this morning and ask you to teach us what we do not know and to make us what we are not yet for your glory and our good. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, church. You may be seated. Like Israel, we worship idols which are insufficient, inadequate gods. Jonathan Edwards is quoted as saying, if man does not give his highest respect to the God that made him, there will be something else that has the possession of it. Men will either worship the true God or some idol. It is impossible. It should be otherwise. Something will have the heart of man. And that which a man gives his heart to may be called his God. We find in Israel hearts turning away from God, the one true God, and turning to idols. In the middle of this amazing journey that they have been on, since Moses brought them out, since God brought them out using Moses, rather, They've witnessed the plagues and God's deliverance from those plagues. They've been through the Red Sea and how God delivered them through that. Three days into the wilderness, they ran out of water. 
and witness firsthand God's deliverance of water from bitter to sweet. Shortly after that, they were out of food and they have had full bellies ever since, full of manna every morning. His provision is there, but not on the seventh because what he provides on the sixth is enough for the seventh because that's a day of rest. After that, they ran out of water again. Moses struck the rock with his staff as God had instructed to him. As God stood on the rock, water flowed from that rock. And now, as Moses is on top of the mountain receiving instructions, not only the Ten Commandments, but the very instructions that God is giving him on how Israel is to relate to him in worship and how he will relate to them in worship, they have turned their back on him and given their heart and their affection and their worship to an idol. Israel has rejected the great I am, the one who has been, the one who is, and the one who will always be. They have turned their back on him. They have asked Aaron to create gods for them who will go ahead of them. They have asked Aaron to fashion a God that will replace Yahweh. They will ask Aaron and demand idols. And so Aaron does that. You'll notice again in verse 2 that Aaron says to take off the gold rings, the wives, their sons, and their daughters. I didn't bring this out in the first message was reminded of it in between services, and I think it is important enough to bring it to you this time to remember where they got that gold from. It was not theirs to begin with. You remember? God told them on the way out of Egypt, ask the Egyptians for silver and gold, and they will give it. And so now that which God had given them through the Egyptians, they are now turning that gift into an idol to be worshipped. The gods that Aaron created are counterfeit gods. The gods that Aaron created are completely insufficient to meet the needs of Israel. The gods that Aaron created could not have brought the plagues upon Egypt, could not have delivered Israel from slavery out of Egypt, could not have split the Red Sea open for the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, could not have provided water, drinkable water, from the bitter water, could not have provided the manna every single day and would not for the next 40 years, could not have provided, could not have stood on the rock while Moses struck the rock and had water flow from that rock. The gods that Aaron created are completely impotent. They lack power where our God, Yahweh, is omnipotent. The God that Aaron created is counterfeit. He could not know what Israel needed. But our God, Yahweh, the I Am, is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what was, what is, and what will be. The God that Aaron created is not the one true and living God, 
And the God that he places in front of Israel is just a chunk of metal. And so Aaron takes that gold, shapes it into the shape of a golden calf or bull, symbolizing power, strength, but is completely powerless. And he places that golden calf before the people, and he calls out, here is your God. These are your gods. The great sin here is that Israel, led by Aaron now, is robbing God of his glory. They, they are robbing God of his glory, and in exchange, they're going to worship a golden cow. And the process and the action of making that idol is foolishness. Because even for its existence, the gods that Aaron is creating, even for that existence, that idol is totally dependent upon Aaron's craftsmanship, his hands. Whereas the I am, the great I am, the I am who I am is the one who has fashioned us and made us. This idol is altogether insufficient, powerless to change lives, and in the words of John Calvin, utterly stupid. In fact, Calvin had it right when he said that the human mind, so to speak, is a perpetual forge of idols, an idol factory. Well, let's think about that sin of idolatry for a minute. You may look around your house and say, I don't have any golden cows around my house. But idolatry is putting something or someone in the place of God. And they are all counterfeit. In fact, we can just be real for a moment that anything you seek to give you what only Jesus Christ can give you is an idol. Peace with God, eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, any of those things. Anything in the substitute of Jesus Christ is an idol. You might be saying, but pastor, again, I don't have a problem worshiping a golden calf because I like to eat them too much. Yes, we do eat them. But it's not so much about the idol itself, but it's about the heart's ability to stray. Friend, it always comes back. What is manifested on the outside in our sin always comes back as a heart problem. Always. Stephen would point out in his sermon in Acts chapter 7, talking about this very moment, verse 39, he said, Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him, that is, obey God. Instead, they pushed him aside, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. What God freed them from, they turned back to. To worship. They saw Egypt. They were immersed in Egyptian culture as slaves in Egypt. They know that Egypt had gods for every single aspect of life. Maybe, just maybe, even the image, the idol that Aaron created was in the image of an Egyptian god that he had seen so that people would recognize it. All too often when God frees us from our sin, we are so quickly turning back. Why did Israel fall into that kind of idolatry? The same reason we do. I'll give you three of them. One is disobedience. 
We fail to obey the word of God. We fail to keep his word, his special revelation to us, where he has shown us who he is, all that he wants us to know at this point, right here in his word, we fail to keep it. We fail to heed the wisdom and the truth that is in this, this great book, his word. When we think about Israel in this moment, they had the commandments already. That happened in Exodus chapter 20. They missed them. The first two, they missed. I mean, sometimes we tend to focus on the last six, five through ten. <laughs> Sweet, I've never murdered anybody. All right, I'm winning. I've never committed adultery. All right, I'm winning. I was a pretty good kid to my mom and dad. All right, I think I honored them. Yeah, I'm winning. And we totally let the first four slip. The first four really show us how we, as a people, relate to God and how he relates to us. No other gods, no idols, the misuse of God's name which doesn't have to be a curse word even. You worship the right God in the wrong way, you're misusing his name. Sabbath keeping. Hello, day of rest, a day to honor the Lord. I would venture to guess, I would even put money on it if I was a gambling man, that if we were to start keeping record, we probably break the first four 10 times more than we break numbers five through 10. Now, we're Texans. We don't like being told what to do. But on the battlefield of our mind and in our heart, the world is lobbing thought grenades that are contrary to God's word and they're going off all around us and they all come back to say, did God really say that? Is that what he really meant? just like in the garden. In fact, if you read Romans chapter one, time and time again, there, God just says, okay, here you go. You can live in the depravity of your minds. You can read Romans chapter one, 18 through 32, and you'll see how it all breaks down from there. But what is even more insane in this moment is that Aaron will give credit to this golden image, this calf that he has created, and he gives the name of God to it. Look at verse five. He presents them in verse four. Here are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, which is a deception and a counterfeit. It's a, it's a lie. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of it and made an announcement. Oh, there will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Right there, capital L-O-R-D. That is the personal name of God. Aaron just ascribed the personal name of God to the golden image he created for Israel to worship. Not only has he broken the first one, now he has broken the second one and now the third one, the misuse of God's name. It's in vain because that idol can't do what our God can do. That God that he created can't, can't, can't do the Red Sea, can't do the, the manna, the water, 
can't lead them into the promised land. Everything that he's selling, they're buying, is all built on a lie. So disobedience. And then there's the issue of distrust. We, we, we fail to trust God's purpose and his plan. We don't always get to see the next five or six steps ahead as much as we would like to. Which is why we come back to trusting God. It's a heart issue. Always a heart issue. That he promised to be with them. And he promised to lead them into the land that is flowing with milk and honey. He promised to go before them. He has shown that he would go before them time and time again. And even Jesus today has told his church at the end of the Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, I will be with you always, even to the, ends of the church, uh, to the ends of the age. Friends, today, we as a church are still called to trust in the I am. He still says, trust me. And yet when we don't trust him, we fall back into looking for something that we can put our trust in. Fail to trust his timing and his power, his presence, his authority over our lives, which leads us to a distorted view of reality. When we disobey and distrust, our view of who God is is distorted. It's like Israel looking at that golden calf thinking, oh yeah, that's the one. He's the one that led us out. It's completely off, they're completely off their rocker. It's like looking at God in a cracked mirror. The image is, is completely discombobulated. It's just distorted. And there's compromise. There's compromise in Aaron. He's compromised the truth. He's calling that golden calf by God's personal name. That's called syncretism. Taking some from this religion, taking some from this religion, taking some from this one, bringing them all together and saying, ah, we have a new God. This is the one. When you compromise who God is and you worship a compromised God, then you have a distorted view of God which leads you down a path that is difficult to recover from. And short of God's grace and his mercy, there is no rescue. Romans chapter 1 verse 20, uh, 21 says, Though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Paul might as well have been referencing this moment at the foot of the mountain while Moses is up listening to the Lord. Friends, we fall when we exchange the glory of God, and when we fall, corruption is there. Wrong worship will lead you to a sin-sick, corrupted life. Romans chapter 1 is that very clear truth and teaching on that particular issue, that when you worship the wrong God, all kinds of sin will follow and find its way into your heart and into your life. Sin problems can be traced to worship problems. I'm not talking about music styles, okay? It's about where your heart is. Idolatry. The worship of ourself, the worship of our wants and our desires, rather than seeing God's as the most important and honoring him first and above all others. What are some of those worship problems? How about addictions? Whether it be alcohol, drug addiction, pornography, food, gambling, money. You're worshiping yourself, trying to find satisfaction trying to please the God of your own life, the God of your own creation, and you'll never find enough to satisfy because the only satisfaction that we can find is in Christ Jesus himself. 
What about money? Worships, worship problems because you love the money more than God. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself, but the love of money, elevating it to the place of God in your life. When that's all you chase after, when that's all you worry about, instead of trusting God this day for his provision and the next day for his provision, you've got a worship problem. There's so many other issues that will haunt you as we chase after other gods, and they cannot, will not, no, never, never, never be able to deliver and provide what our God, the God of the universe, did and does to this very day and will always provide for you in his son, Jesus Christ. Nothing. There's one other issue. The Bible says that we will become like what we worship. In Psalm 115, verses four through eight, the psalmist writes, their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throats. Those who make them are just like them as are all who trust in them. Friend, everything that you have turned your heart to that is not God cannot speak, it cannot do what our God can do. It could not do what Jesus did on the cross. You keep reading the rest of the Old Testament and we'll see how time and time again how true this is of Israel. When God says they are a stiff-necked and stubborn people, he ain't lying. And when he looks at us and he sees us as the same way, it is only by his grace and mercy that that old stiff neck gets loosened up a little bit. The next thing, part of the story, is that we, we've got to pray for those who are caught in sin. Moses is here. He's listening to God speak. In verse 11, it says that he sought the favor of the Lord his God. And he asked God, God, why is your anger burning against Israel? The people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand. Why should the Egyptians say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and eliminate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger and relent concerning this disaster planned for your people. What was that disaster? He was going to wipe them out. Think Noah. Think Sodom and Gomorrah. He was going to take them out and he told Moses... I'll start over with you. And yet here's Moses praying for God's people. Psalm 106, verse 23 says, so he said he would have destroyed them if Moses, has, if Moses his chosen one had not stood before him in the breach to turn his wrath away from destroying them. Men and women of God, I pray that if you find someone in your life you know someone in your life, especially in the church, who is struggling with the sin, and if you sense idolatry is the real issue, friend, stand in the gap for them. Pray for them. This is exactly what Moses does. He intercedes on behalf of Israel. Now, it says here that God relented. It doesn't mean that God changed his mind, but rather that God was inviting Moses to pray, and that's exactly what Moses did. We are invited to pray, just as Moses prays, that God turn away his wrath. His plans didn't change. He still brings discipline upon his people. At the end of the story, he brings plagues upon the people. 
But Moses is fulfilling his part of the plan, his part of God's plan. It's less of a punishment than what was originally planned. But here we gain in this moment that we as sinners, we need a mediator. We need someone to stand in the gap. Our first and only mediator is Jesus Christ. He has done that for us. There is a place, though, for followers of Jesus to pray for one another, to intercede for one another. James calls us to tell our sins to one another, not so we can judge and throw stones, but so that we can pray for one another. We have to plead to God for the lives of our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, through Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we should pray like Moses did. Look what he did. First, he remembers God's character and God's faithfulness. God, you're the one that brought us out. I know that. You know that. Egypt knows that. We pray for the will of God, not our own. Moses could have stopped. He could have not prayed. I mean, that's a pretty good promise. Moses is going to be the one to start it all over. A great nation will come from Moses instead of Abraham. Wow. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, John calls us and tells us that this is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God's will was to take his people into the promised land. Moses intercedes on behalf of that will. The last thing I want to point out to you out of this this morning is that anything or anyone other than Christ Jesus is an insufficient substitute. And here's what I mean by that. Insufficient, inadequate, unholy, insane. Moses goes down into the camp. He hears what's happening around him. Joshua meets him. Joshua's flipping out a little bit. He's like, oh, Moses, the people are going crazy. Moses says there's no victory cry. This is not the sound of defeat. It's an act of singing and revelry to a false god. And he's hot, man. Moses is aggravated. He goes down and he throws the tablets down and they break, which is symbolic of the broken covenant on behalf of the people. He takes that golden calf, melts it down, grinds it into dust, throws it into the water source, makes the people drink it. Therefore, what was a God has now become a waste product. It's as cleanest as I could make that. The people are out of control. Aaron is shifting blame, but is guilty of making the idol and making them a laughing stock to the nations. They were supposed to proclaim to the nations the great I am, but here all they've done is display the stupidity of idolatry. They've got to repent, but Aaron seems a little bit reluctant to accept any of that blame. So do we. We shift the blame. We try to deflect the responsibility to someone else until we find somebody willing to take the blame. Listen, you can't put your sin on other people. It's yours. And the truth of the word is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you're not fooling anybody when you deny your sin, especially the God who knows everything. Judgment is handed out by Moses and the Levites. Those who will repent and turn away are left. Those who refuse are cut off from Israel. But here at the end of chapter 32, we find Moses ready to go back to the Lord one more time on behalf of Israel. Verse 30, he says, The following day Moses said to the people, You have committed a grave sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I will be able to atone for your sin. 
And so Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a grave sin. They have made a God of gold for themselves. Now if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. Moses offered himself in place of Israel, a substitute. You see how much Moses cared for Israel. And you see how much God cared for Israel because God said, no, Moses, you are not an adequate substitute. Even though what Moses offered was honorable, Gracious, loving, Moses is not sufficient for that role because Moses is not enough. It isn't his place to die for Israel because there is one who is coming for that very purpose. There is one who is greater, and his name was Jesus, who will be like Moses, but greater than Moses. It will be Jesus' job at the cross to atone for the sins of Israel and for the church. Augustine said, whoever then has Christ in his heart so that no earthly or temporal things are preferred to him has Christ as a foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Friend, whatever God you have been worshiping, whatever idol you have been worshiping, putting in the place of Christ Jesus, I pray you will take and destroy and see Christ and trust Christ Jesus as your substitute. He died to take the place of all the promises the world has to offer that yet cannot fulfill. That he died to take your place to pay for your sin so that by believing and trusting in him, you would be able to find reconciliation with God, peace with God. The plague that we find God sending upon the people of Israel at this moment is only a holding back of his wrath, a wrath that was gonna be poured out on Christ at the cross where he said, it is finished. He has paid that price with his life. This is the power of Christ to take what is dead and bring forth life. And if you are here today and you have not trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord of your life, I pray today, if you hear him calling you, do not harden your heart, but turn to trust. Ask him to forgive you. Turn away from your sin. Confess him as Savior and Lord of your life, having trusted him in your heart. If you've already made that decision to follow Christ, then I wonder, are there some created things that you've been worshiping in the place of God? That list could be terribly long. I'll tell you of one that happened in my life, briefly. I had just received what every student of Texas A&M wants. It's not the diploma. It's the ring. That happened yesterday. Big day for an Aggie. We want the ring. I can spot them anywhere. My first one was a bit of an idol. 
This is what the Lord has taught me through that, through that season in my life. Didn't realize it until it was gone. Now, even though I was wearing it at, a, at the mother of all ministry events, a water balloon vacation Bible school fight. I mean, what gets better than that in the gospel ministry? I don't know. To this day, I still don't know where it is. You can ask my wife. I cried, I mourned, I grieved for days. I looked all over that church, could not find it. Metal detectors in the grass, in the, couldn't find it. God taught me what I was really worshiping. He taught me. But that list can be long. We can elevate our children into that place. We can elevate our children's future into that place where we will sacrifice everything we can to the future of our child instead of offering that child to the Lord. Sports, sports teams, political ideologies. Some of us worship the perfect church and hope that we'll find it someday. Money, sex, alcohol, a good time, ourselves, our jobs. You name it, it's there. Power, greed, lust, gambling. I mean, I tried to think of as many as I possibly could. And still there is others. The Bible says those who worship idols are dumb. Don't be dumb. Isaiah 44, 18, in the New Living Translation reads, such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. He's talking about idols and those who worship them. I know nothing of the um, contemporary English version. I have not ever read it very often. It popped up in my search, though, as I was looking at, at that verse. And it, it, it says, those who worship idols are dumb in this verse. It's not an endorsement for that translation. I'm just saying that it's there. Stupidity and ignorance. When we've got the living, creating God who created all that we see and all that we know and loved us so much that he sent his son from the throne room of heaven to die on the cross for our sin, when we would turn our back on that to worship something that is dumb, how wise are we? Friend, turn that idol over to the Lord. Be mindful that the Father is seeking true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you're turning yourself, your heart over to something that is not him, his son, the Holy Spirit, then you are worshiping the created. You are not worshiping in truth, nor are you worshiping in spirit. God calls us, church, to set our minds on things above. If you have been raised with Christ, seek things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. When we set our minds on those earthly things, we make them into idols. Paul calls the church back from that. Listen, we are called to steward the created things, not worship the created things. All the idols this world has to offer are totally insufficient on every single level, and I call you today to turn them over. Come home and worship the true and living God through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Lord.